This is Grown Up With Kids, the parenting and marriage podcast that gives a weekly dose of encouragement, wisdom, and humor for people trying their best to live, love, and laugh more with their families. Thanks for joining us. Hey, hey, today we talk about fighting against the need to be perfect parents. Also, how scrambled eggs end up in the butter dish, and if Harry Potter pays with canutes, newts, nuts, <laughs> maybe someone could tell us. Hey, David. How you doing? Rachel, I'm great. How are you? I'm great. It's another cold day. Yeah. I well, have so cold many, for us. I, yeah, I was going to say, I have so many people in my life who I interact with who live in like Wisconsin and Chicago and Boston uh-huh. who just laugh at me when I tell them it's cold. Okay. But I'm cold. But to our I'm credit, cold, to our credit, it's a damp cold. <laughs> It's not a dry heat. <laughs> right. It's a damp cold. It's a damp cold. It's different than where I grew up in Colorado. It's yeah. different than this like dry, beautiful weather. I don't know. I just I hate I hate the dampness in Atlanta. It's fine. I've gotten over it. We've been here a long you have time. Lovely moist skin. <laughs> That's hopefully the benefit of living in a a really humid state is that I will look younger than the people who live in the dry, shriveled up states. Did you hear about this moist, damp conspiracy? Ah, gross. Not- I can't even believe we're saying this word on Yeah. Well, that's podcast. the point, is that um, people don't like the word moist so much. <gasps> I did hear this. And they were talking about having a moist cake, and now they're calling it a damp cake? Yes. Yeah, so this you woman, I think it was the me. New York Times, like, cooking section. Uh, I'll try to confirm that. But And so she referred to it as damp cake. Oh and people my. were like, that's even <laughs> worse. <laughs> that, like... That signifies or like says that it's like gooey and icky. Damp sounds terrible. Damp is awful. I, I think cake is the one place where moist sounds amazing. Yep. Other places, not allowed. But cake, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So speaking of things that shouldn't be allowed, guess yeah. what I found today in our in our adventures in how gross can kids be? <laughs> I don't know. We should have a game show. <laughs> so I was cleaning up the kitchen after breakfast and found scrambled eggs in the butter dish. Gross. So gross. Really? How did it get there, you think? Uh, here's my guess. Someone was buttering something with a, and their plate had eggs on it, and a little bit of egg fell off. So gross. That's Just put so the plate gross. down. So here's what we should do. We should have a game show with like the grossest things we find, right? And then the point, there should be extra points for how did it actually get there? Like how did <laughs> underwear actually get hung on the ceiling fan? Yeah. It's hard to say. I want to install like simply safe cameras around the interior of our house. <laughs> Not because I want to like police our kids, but because I'm just, just so curious. Just pure curiosity about what's happening. <laughs> I mean, how many nights a week? Probably four is what my guess would be. You go over under. Are we downstairs after the kids are quote unquote in bed and we hear some noise and we're both like, what, what is, is going that? on? Yeah. I would say at least four, maybe a bit more. Yeah. You're going over? Yeah. All right. I'll give that to it's you. It's a lot. <laughs> It's a lot. Who knows? So, but the other the other piece yeah. of that is that we don't care enough to check <laughs> <laughs> because they're finally away. Like I don't care what happens away from me. Just go to bed or do whatever you need to do up there. I'm just gonna act like nothing yeah. is happening. Yeah, maybe people listening can relate. We have recently inst- uh, instituted talking about bedtime as mom and dad's wall. Like we hit a wall at 807. And so you need to be in bed by then, or at least in your room. Or I will almost guarantee 
I will be mean. Yeah. <laughs> or just totally dismiss you. <laughs> like, d- mom, yeah, nope, can't help you. I don't care. I hit the wall. I just don't care. <laughs> uh, so in other news, um, we were watching TV as a family the other day. And as we've talked about on some other episode, I, I wish I remembered the number, but uh, we see a lot of drug ads. I don't know what our <laughs> algorithm's going on. A lot of legal drugs, right, obviously. Yeah. Um, but, like, a lot of rheumatoid arthritis, and there's one in particular migraine commercial, which is ridiculous. It's like as if you were making fun of a commercial for drugs because it's got all the, like, key points of, like, she looks so sad and doesn't have any makeup on, and then all of a sudden she takes the drugs and she's smiling and happy, and <laughs> exactly. the, the whole house looks better and is cleaner, and her child loves her more. And part of the whole the premise is that because she takes this migraine medicine, now she's a wonderful mom who wants to play with her daughter all the time. Uh-huh. What happened then? And then our son said, I wish you were more like that. <laughs> And I looked at him and I was like, (laughs) I was like, what do you mean? He's like, I wish you played with me more. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. I wanted to be like, because I have a migraine because you never sleep ever. It's past (laughs) the wall. Yeah, it was. And I, I was tempted to be like, yeah, I should be more like that. Like this woman is on the ground, like rolling around with her kids and playing and engaged and like. But if I have to play Pokemon one more damn time, I'm going to go through the roof. I do not know the rules to my game. <laughs> I don't think it's even a game. <laughs> I think I, I think it's like made up rules as we go along. And yeah. so I I think I I was tempted to feel badly because it looks like this mom is the perfect mom on TV. Yeah. Um, I'm not her. Clearly, I must have migraines all the time because I'm not wearing makeup and I'm a little grumpy, like, first half of the day. <laughs> and you didn't take the time to decorate your dog, like, the perfect, like, <laughs> like with royalty s- uh, steed <laughs> from the 1700s. Yeah, seriously. I'm not rolling around on the ground. I'm not playing airplane on my feet. You yeah. know, like, um, I'm clearly failing. And apparently my son sees that, too. I got good news for you. What? You know what this episode's about? What? It's about how we finally, 74 episodes in, are going to tell people how they can become perfect parents. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> You're welcome. You're ridiculous. <laughs> I got the key, Rachel. Do you really? No. What's the key? <laughs> tell me all the wisdom that you have there, David. Um, set up a wall. Don't talk At to your kids. <laughs> Don't talk your kids after that wall. Uh, Get a good night's rest. Yeah, perfect. And, um, you know. Have like an emergency bag of Cheetos and or Snickers <laughs> at all times. for you, not for the kids, for you. That's how you be a perfect parent. That's that's how I survive. I think our work is done here. I definitely said Cheetos and I hate Cheetos. I meant Doritos. Oh. I was visualizing Doritos. Cool but, ranch but, Doritos. Oh, those are the best. They are by far. By far. So we do want to talk about perfect parenting and not how to do it, but the myth of it. How to not do it. I'm just kidding. (laughs) How to realize you're never going to do it and that's okay. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I would say that I struggle greatly with this. Yeah. Um, Not because, not not on the end of being a perfect parent. I struggle with comparison, which we've talked about before on this podcast. Um, I struggle with making sure my kids are happy all the time, with people pleasing, with making sure the people around me approve of my parenting, Um, making sure that if I read a book, I'm implementing all the things from that book about parenting. So we are, if you struggle with being an imperfect parent, you're in good company. (laughs) Or you're in our company at least. (laughs) 
exactly. Um, yeah, so I want to address one thing before we go deeper into this, which is probably most people listening to this would be like, oh, I know I'm not perfect and I'm not trying to be, right? Yeah, I agree. Um, and we would openly admit that and be like, oh, no, we're not trying to be, it's not even admitting, it's almost as if we're proud of it. Like, oh, we're not, you know, trying to be perfect. Yeah. But what I would argue is that when things go awry and I just feel like guilt for six hours or where I wake up in the middle of the night but I can't fall asleep because I'm thinking about something I'm not doing as a parent or like you said I've read a book and learned a hundred things and I'm not implementing two of them that sense of guilt and regret and shame that those actually show that underneath there's part of me that believes I could be perfect Mm -hmm. and that's the work of kind of demystifying or tearing apart this idea of perfect parenting is actually realizing that even though I can say I don't think I'm supposed to be perfect, I actually underneath really believe it and need to weed that out. Yeah, I think that's the key is underneath really believing it because I would even say that part of my perfect parenting shtick is saying, oh, I'm not a perfect parent. Ah, ha, ha, like lighthearted, like I'm just messing up left and right. I'm perfect at being imperfect. Yeah, like, oh, look, parenting is just not perfect ever, but there's still this pressure that I feel from all different sources. And you can name various sources. They can be people around me Mm -hmm. who are critical, people around me who are, like, amazing and gracious and generous all the time. Yeah. Um, It can be books. It can be a number of different um, forces. I think that point about comparison, whether that's to our friends or our frenemies that we run into or the mean girls at the park or famous people and people we see on Instagram is and, so important. And there are mean girls at the park. Yes. And on Instagram, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and we covered that in a lot more detail in episode 53, Fighting the Urge, Avoiding Comparison Parenting. So I highly recommend people dive into that because it goes in more in depth on that whole point. And that's something I think all of us can work on, um, uh, you know, no matter where we are in our parenting journey. Yeah, I agree. And I think that one thing that's important to recognize is um, that that's sort of like the top where we can say, okay, stop comparing yourself. But if we dig a little bit deeper, which we we like to do on this podcast, we don't want it to just be prescriptive like, okay, doot, doot, stop comparing yourself. All Smile done. more. Yeah, like... What I think is really going on is that there has to be a recognition that people-pleasing or perfection or the desire for perfection, I think we all have a desire for perfection, but people-pleasing is the pinnacle of self am- selfish ambition. Mm-hmm. And we actually are not thinking a lot about our kids when we are trying to do all of these things that the, book, the books, I almost said the books prescribe, the books prescribe. Say that 10 times fast. The books subscribe? (laughs) So I want to say that one more time. People-pleasing is the pinnacle of selfish ambition. Yeah. And when we start becoming prescriptive in our parenting, according to a book, according to a friend, according to my neighbor, according to Instagram, all these things. According to two idiots on on a podcast. (laughs) According to us on a podcast. (laughs) We actually are not thinking that much about our kids. We really are selfishly driven to make sure that everybody views us in a certain way rather than being the parent to what our kids actually need in that moment. Yeah, I think it's a point worth restating um, and rewording and just saying over and over again, which is when we are focused on perfectionism in ourselves and in our parenting, that's about us. 
It's not about our kids. It's right. A, and I think, sorry, I interrupted. Go, go ahead. No, keep well, rock and roll, that, baby. I think that it starts to skew how you lead your family. I think it starts to skew um, what you worship. Like, I think you slowly but surely, when you're starting to strive for this perfection, you misplace your worship and you start yeah. to lose sight of what's really important. Yeah, I read a quote recently. Um, I've referenced this book before because I'm a really slow reader, and so I'm still in the middle of it, called How to Raise an Adult by uh, Julie Lithcott Hames. And she says, truth be told, sometimes we like to, quote, unquote, be there for our kids because their need, whether real, perceived, or manufactured, gives our lives purpose and meaning. And I think that is a real good um, summary of... I think our generation of parents have gone from one side of the pendulum where it was sort of disinterest or lack of engagement that many of us experienced as kids in certain areas to this, <coughs> excuse me, I'm burping and coughing and holding. <laughs> <laughs> um, something went down the wrong tube. The other side of the pendulum is like uber engagement, but it's actually selfish engagement. It's engagement because it fills something in me that our kids need, our kids' performance, our kids' growth and success makes me feel meaningful. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a tough balance because parenting, fatherhood and motherhood is a meaningful calling, but our meaning and our lives and our purpose is not just about our kids. And if we put too much on them, that's actually a real detriment to them and we lose our identity. And so it's a detriment to us. Yeah. I think that going back to the example that we used in humor at the beginning about, you know, our son saying, I wish you were more like that. Um, We laugh about it, but there was an internal wrestling in me before I could respond. I had to understand in myself and ask the question, am I doing what I feel called and led to do for this child? Am I actually, is it real that I'm not spending enough time playing? Um, And in some cases, yes, and I need to receive that, and that's an important conviction. And in a lot of cases, no, but I cannot allow someone else's voice to determine what I'm called to do with my child. And that is the strength of parenting. It is not like how many things you check off your list from a to-do book. You know, it's not a self-help. It's really understanding in yourself what you're convicted of and what you, what you should be changing and parsing that out into what you let slide and, and joke about later on a podcast. Yeah. (laughs) And so love is sacrificial. And part of that sacrifice is not doing things that get the response we want from our kids or make us feel good. It's actually giving our kids what they need, um, not always what they may want or what we think they want in the moment. So how do you determine their needs or like, how do you kind of, you personally, I'm just asking a real question. How do you sort of like wade through that or parse that out? The difference between guilt and conviction. Yeah. So here's where that plays out for me. We're in the middle of a pandemic. I'm working from home most of the time. Um, so there are more opportunities at 9.15 in the morning for one of our kids to say, hey, can you play with me right now? <laughs> and there's this feeling of guilt, like, ugh, I should play with them. That would, you know, and and so much of my kind of life is defined by wanting to be an engaged father to the point where it is an idol that Mm -hmm. I have to wrestle with. And so that's an example. I don't know if this is answering your question, but that's an example of sort of parsing, like, am I doing this because it's the right thing? Because there might be a moment where a kid is having a tough time or we just haven't been able to connect where it's like, 
I'm going to give up 15 minutes of work time and engage with you because it's really good. But a lot of times the answer is no. Like I have a job and it's good for me to do my job. That's what I'm paid for. I, you know, so I have a sort of owe that to my employer and it gives that it gives me meaning and it's important what I do. And it's good for you to see that I'm a hard worker and follow, you know, follow through with my commitments and those things as well. Um, and it's also good for, cause sometimes it's just like, they don't want to do the work of entertaining themselves. So sometimes <laughs> yeah. it's good to just be like, Hey, you got to go find something to do. Like, and you can't have a screen and I'm not going to entertain you. So you've got to figure it out. So I think it's a process of, it's an ongoing, first of all, and secondly, it's a lot of self-examination, like understanding what are the motives behind why I'm doing what I'm doing. So sometimes I avoid our kids because it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. And that's when I need to realize, oh, I'm putzing around on my phone, not because I have work to do, but because I don't want to engage with them. And so I need to engage with them. Other times it's, oh, I feel guilty about not hanging out with them, but actually I have things that I really should be doing. And it's a good lesson and a good opportunity to help them see that I love them but can't be present with them in that moment. Yeah, I think that the the guilt is tricky. I think it's, um, I felt that this last week when I got a call from a teacher that said, hey, your son's not engaged. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, no joke. <laughs> like, I get it. Um, but part of that is because my work life has um, ticked up a good bit. Right. And there was a temptation to feel like, oh my gosh, we're ignoring our kids. We're just like letting them slide. They're never going to learn. Like my head goes in all these crazy places and it is up to me before I go to our son and say, hey, what are you doing? Why are you asleep on a screen? Like this is crazy. My job actually is on the front end to say, okay, is this like, am I working too much? Am I not giving enough time? Or um, is this like a normal a normal balance that we're just trying to figure out. Yeah. And it's a lot of identity work. Like part of why this is hard when you ask that question, I'm like, Oh, that's a hard question. I wish you would have mentioned it during the (laughs) (laughs) pre-planning. Yeah. I'm kidding. I love catching you off guard. (laughs) Part of that, why that's hard is that there's no simple answer and it's actually an ongoing, uh, identity work. Like me stripping my identity as a father and the need to like control or get the right outcomes or have our kids respond in a certain way that makes me feel good and having an identity that has a sense of uh, strength no matter what, that there are going to be down times when our kids are not doing well in school or not doing well at sports or whatever, or a time period where I'm not able to be with them as much as they want and that's going to make them feel bad and separating like their feelings are valid, but also my identity is not defined and measured by whether they like me in that moment. And that's so important that your kids move to middle school and high school. (laughs) Yes. And I think that that identity work, Part like that's what separates this from being selfish ambition from real work. Like it's not selfishly motivated when you are identified as an individual and really working through this stuff. Whereas when we are just like caught by the tail and whipped around by expectations, we that is actually super selfish. Yeah. So I want to give some practical thoughts on, we talked to sort of what not to do, and we talked a little bit (laughs) about doing some really deep work that takes time and energy. And we don't want to leave folks there. (laughs) (laughs) No no real work here. Uh, No, these things are real work too, but they're a little bit more on the positive, like here's some things to do. The number one thing is to be intentional. Um, 
so we can't be perfect, but we can be thoughtful and we can be intentional. And then we mess up. It's a little bit like when we make resolutions or we want to change our diet or work out more. Like if you think you're going to do it perfectly, the moment you don't do it, then you're just despondent and you stop. Um, and so more, if you're more like, I want to run more and I'm shooting for four times a week, but you only do it two one week, you'd be like, oh, I only did it two. Next week, I'm going to try to do better, right? Like I think we need to view parenting the same way of like, here are the things I'm working on. I'm being very intentional about it. And when I don't do it well, I can get back up on the horse knowing there's another day tomorrow, there's another week next week. Yeah, that's like, I think that our culture pushes the concept of self-love and self-acceptance. Like I think that is the epitome of self-acceptance is to say, oh, I failed and that's okay. And I'm moving on to not just continue to fail, but to succeed um, and pursue the goals I put in place in the first place. Yeah, and on that, I found a quote from Center for Parenting Education, which, by the way, um, at centerforparentingeducation.org has like a ton of resources in terms of books and articles, but especially books, overwhelmingly amount. But if you're like looking like for one thing, they sort of categorize it by topic, I would pick one book and just have a goal of reading that in a normal amount of time instead of trying to go through their whole list. But they note in one of their blog posts that research shows that people who are thoughtful about their parenting decisions are more likely to raise emotionally healthy children than those who, quote-unquote, fly by the seat of their pants. And I think this points to being thoughtful, being intentional, not trying to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, and that gets me to the second sort of positive action we can take, which is when we mess up, when things don't go the way that we're supposed to, like we can ask for forgiveness. We can forgive ourselves, and then we can go to our child if we've wronged them and say, hey, I'm really sorry. Like So sometimes I make the wrong decisions where it's like I choose work over them when I shouldn't have, or sometimes I choose them over work. And in either case, I can go to them if it's appropriate and sort of talk through that, what I was thinking and feeling, and ask for forgiveness if that's what needs to happen. Yeah, so intentionality does not mean like having a plan to make your day go well intentionality, what I'm hearing you say is that intentionality is um, doing the work on the front end so that you have the humility to go and make things right on the back end, even if things are not perfect. Is that accurate? Sounds about right. Well, that's helpful. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I should go and figure out if I need to apologize for not playing enough. No, you don't. You play a lot. I'm just kidding. I mean, you and I both have to apologize for a bunch of stuff. That's not one of those things. Yeah. All right, and then the last thing is to make sure you're listening to the right voices. And by that, I, you know, we talked about comparison. We talked about people who can be critical. I think we need to find people who love us and are going to offer us helpful, thoughtful, not even criticism, but maybe if they see something that we can improve on. Like, we should want those types of friendships and relationships, but we need to ignore people who cause shame in us or make us want to compare ourselves to them um, or make us feel badly about our choices um, and can't sort of love us through those things. Yeah, I agree. And I think that, um, like, I think that there's more work on that front end in those relationships as well to, like, to understand is this person intentionally making me feel badly? Mm-hmm. Or is this person just someone that I really admire and, and really want to be with? Like, Because yeah. I do think that um, that's important because you want to surround yourself with people that you want to be like because you will eventually be like the people you hang out with. And so, um, so that's where I think the differentiation between conviction and shame comes in. Like if you're feeling shame evaluating and understanding is it because this person has shamed me or is it because there's something in me that admires them and wants to be like them? Yep. It's a lot of internal work. Yep. It is a lot of, you got to pay attention to what you're feeling and why. 
Yes. If you're struggling with that or if that's, if that feels really hard, we always encourage people to seek out counseling. Um, we find incredible value in counseling and it really is a luxury that we have people to sort of speak into our lives. If you have the opportunity to get counseling, do so. It will help. We promise. Yep. We've done it. <laughs> <laughs> we have. So with that, one final point is like, when we talk about finding the right voices, you should be listening to people both in your real life and in podcasts or anywhere else that encourage you. So if this is an encouragement, like if you listen to us and you feel actually shame, like you should turn it off. Yeah. But if this is a place where you're like, yeah, they get it or this is encouraging and they offer some thoughts and, you know, and some humor and some humility, great. Like come along with us. We're so glad that people spend some time listening to us every week and spend some time with us. Um, and just want to note, like, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and we would greatly appreciate that. That helps um, a lot. And you can also follow us on social media where we're mostly dorking around, but every once in a while say something <laughs> kind of smart and fun. Uh, we're on Instagram at Growing Up With Kids Podcast. And I'm on Twitter. Rachel's, like, nominally on Twitter. But... I pretend to be on Twitter, but I don't really know how to yeah, do Yeah, but you twist. can follow me at, at <laughs> David Grow Up, and then it's at Rachel Grow Up, and Rachel has two A's in her name. Not Rachel. It's <laughs> <laughs> R-A-C-H-A-E-L Grow up What's the extra A for? Kick your pee <laughs> Alright Hey, are we doing stat of the week now? Yeah Oh my gosh, you didn't even announce it Stat of <laughs> the week Here we are Hey Rach I don't mind your lack of announcement Hey Dave Hey Rach <laughs> I'm making up for it with a lot of hey, Rachel's. <laughs> I appreciate it. All right. So I came, ac- speaking of Twitter, which we were just speaking of, um, I came across <laughs> which this. Which we were just speaking of. It's the worst when you have to explain your explanations. <laughs> <laughs> so Twitter is this website or app where you can post your thoughts. On the World Wide Web. <laughs> oh, man. All right. I came across this academic paper written by like real economists, I think. Um, one of them is associated with Emory University here in Atlanta, in fact. And one is, I think that his name is actually Dumbledore. He's at um, Emory. (laughs) (laughs) You're making fun of me. Yeah. So it's literally about the economics of Harry Potter. It's crazy. And part of the reason they say that is that because they believe um, that, or there's research that shows that most average people, like what they know about economics and how the world works um, is based off of pop culture more than it is about taking like an economics class. Facts. Yeah. (laughs) And and I found this is a quote from the paper. It says, to learn economics, one could take college economics courses. However, only about 10% of adults ever take college economics. It would be better to increase the quality and quantity of discussion of economics in the mass media. So when a TV show like West Wing considers the benefits and costs of free trade, it probably has more impact on the impact on the economic literacy than all freshman economic courses combined. Oh my gosh. So they do this whole (laughs) breakdown about how the economy in um, Hogwarts and uh, what's Hogsmeade and all those places work. And like they break down the problems with it. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Like it's a very stale economy. It's not very growing very fast. There's a lot of government regulation. Well, the funny part of this is that you probably finished the article, whereas I would say that the majority of economy, economic yeah. economy articles I read, I'm like, ah, two paragraphs in, I think I'm done here, because they're boring as anything. It's super interesting. They also 
point out that there's like a huge arbitrage <laughs> opportunity because the cost <laughs> of a galleon, which is one of the uh, ways that you pay, for, or it's like one of the forms of money, is actually um, in its weight in gold is worth way more than it actually is worth in the economy. <laughs> so people should be melting down their galleons <laughs> and selling it. That's really funny. <laughs> so, but I'm going to ask you a stat of a week that has nothing to do with most of that, but um, oh my gosh, so I mean, why did we just no, 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 it doesn't have to do with like the deep economics of the Hogwartian world. <laughs> uh, this is the podcast where David just talks about interesting things he read yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually this morning. <laughs> I'm always behind. So there are t- three types of coins in uh, the wizard commodity money system. Do you know what those are? You're reading through Galleon. The- Yep, Galleon's the biggest one. Um, and I don't remember the rest. Okay. I am reading through the Harry Potter series again. Yeah, um, so Because we fun. have three kids. So Galleon is the largest. Sickle is the second one. And then, um, I don't know if it's pronounced nuts. It's spelled K-N-U-T-S. That's how I say it. <laughs> Do I don't think that's right. <laughs> so you have Galleons, uh, Sickles, and Canutes. Do you know how many Sickles are in a Galleon? Galleon? Five. No, it's a... It is a prime number, which five is also a prime number, but it's uh, bigger. 20. 20 is not... Do you know what a prime number is? <laughs> no. <laughs> most of the time I See, not only was economy, e- economics <laughs> boring for me, I can't even say the right word. Math was boring. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm so more of a social girl. You're close. 17. So there are 17... Um, let me get this right, right? 17 sickles in a galleon. And then a nut is smaller. So how many canuts or nuts are there in a sickle? There's more than 17, actually. Ugh. It's another uh, prime number. No, which don't the paper say points that out, because I don't even know prime numbers paper right points now. out that prime numbers are not the right way to do <laughs> for some reason. Which I don't understand, but I don't know why it's not just like 10 and 20. Y- you and I are so different. I mean, yeah. you have like a brain that absorbs economy. Yeah. Like you yeah, yeah, are a, a sort of an economist and yeah. an I play analyst. one on TV. I'm social. <laughs> so I'll make, no, no, what you just said, I'll make our friends. What you just said You is, can wow them with David, the facts. You like numbers and I have friends. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll just give well, it to you. 29. 29 canutes 29. in a sickle, which means that there are 493 canutes or nuts in a galleon because you do 17 times 29. Thank you very much. I used the calculator. Don't Good worry. <laughs> I didn't do that in my head. So anyway, we'll post a link to this for anyone who is nerdy like me and or just wants a good laugh because they do they go like a deep dive in how the economy works and it's hilarious. That is and really, really interesting. interesting. Really, yeah. really interesting. Um, oh, here's another just like point that was really interesting is that coins are really hard to carry around. That's why paper money got invented in the first place. And they make the point that going to um, the bank, which I forget what the bank is called. Do you remember? Uh, no, but it's deep in the earth. That's what I know. Yeah. Well, that's the point is that the co- transaction cost of going to get your money out of the bank is so high. <laughs> oh, my God. That it would just it would actually depreciate prices because no one would have money because <laughs> <laughs> carrying coins is so hard. That is fascinating. So. I hope that there are some Harry Potter fans out there who have read it three times through with their children like we have and could tell us how to, to pronounce canutes. Or yes. nuts. Or nuts. <laughs> nuts. I like newts. Let's go with newts. Let's go with newts. All right. Well, you can go to our Instagram or we do have a Facebook page or follow us on Twitter and make fun of our pronunciation of canutes. Hey, or... that sounds great. I love being made fun of on the on the social media. <laughs> the tweets. <laughs> uh, or you could just, you know, email us directly from our website, growingupwithkidspodcast.com, and make fun of us in person. Hey, that's or okay. Or one-to-one. I don't know. Don't make fun of us. I'm pretty tenderhearted. <laughs> David can take it, but I can't. Arr. <laughs> 
only cares about numbers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if the number three made fun of me, I would be so angry. <laughs> All right, so this has been a fun one, and just an encouragement to everyone that you do not need to be perfect. Just be present, um, and hey, thank you for working on the farm. Hey, thank you for working on the farm. Check ya. Check ya.